right. Recording in progress. I don't. Okay, great. Well, that makes it easy. I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I feel like I'm so photogenic as, as it is. That, <laughs> um, anything else is just a step down. Really. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Well, welcome. Um, shall we start again, Silly? You want to introduce Mike? Sure. Um, should I go through the whole? Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's try this all over again. Sorry for our technical difficulties. Um, someone was trying to Zoom bomb us, I guess. Um, well, welcome to Music, Lyrics, and Life, hosted by Writer House as part of the 2022 Virginia Festival of the Book, a program of Virginia Humanities. I'm Sibley Johns. I'm the Executive Director of Writer House. Thanks so much for joining us. This event is one in a series of six devoted to Virginia writing and publishing presented by writing centers and organizations across Virginia, including 1455 Literary Arts, James River Writers, the Muse Writers Center, Randolph College MFA, Watershed Lit, Center for Literary Engagement, and Publishing Practice and Writer House. The full series of Virginia writing and publishing events are available at vabook.org, where you can also explore the full festival schedule and watch past events. While you're there, please consider making a donation to support the festival's ongoing work at vabook.org give. Closed captions are available at any time during this event by clicking the closed caption button. Now I'm pleased to introduce our speakers. Mike Errico, author of Music, Lyrics, and Life, is a New York-based recording artist, writer, and lecturing professor. In addition to his music career, he teaches songwriting at universities including Yale, Wesleyan, and New York University's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. Our moderator, Ramona Martinez, is a visual artist, writer, tarot, and tarot reader living in Charlottesville, Virginia. She has spent the last decade producing audio content, most recently as the producer of the View From Somewhere podcast. She is the co-director of the Feminist Union for Seville Creatives and serves on the board of the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative. Thank you all very much for joining us today. Ramona and Mike, it's all yours. Hi, everyone. Um, we are so happy to be here tonight to talk to you about songwriting. Um, I'm especially happy because I've been writing songs a lot uh, the last year or so, and so I'm excited to, I was so excited to get this book, um, not only for like all of the, all of the wonderful things I learned along the way, but I've been applying the wisdom um, that Mike has given us over the last three weeks and it's really improved my own songwriting. So thank you for being here, Mike. Thank you. I, I, I love uh, that you've been using it. That must have been like a solid five minutes, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, exactly. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Um, well, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, Mike, because you say in your book that once you start writing songs, it has this tendency to take over your life. So I wanted to ask you um, to tell us when and how songwriting took over your life. Um, well, songwriting was really weird. I mean, it kind of, it did, but it was in a very backward sort of way. Um, uh, as I stayed in the book and I will be talking a little bit about what I talked about, but um, I was uh, kind of, uh, I was actually born backward. Uh, it was called a Frank breach birth. And I uh, 
got into songwriting backward as well. I don't think I've ever turned around, to be honest. Um, but um, what I've done, um, what I did is my dad, who's a doctor, is also a piano player. And he took a pop songwriting course and hated it, right? But he was like, maybe you want to do it because we have the same name and he didn't want to take his money back, right? So I, I took the class and like, I went from zero to that to a couple of years later, my first record deal. Um, and so that was really, um, it was a very strange trajectory. Um, I can't really say I, I understood like what really what was going on, but um, I think that's that's been the case for quite some years now. And I, I've, I've learned, I think, more or less to accept um, that kind of uh, serendipitous occurring uh, occurrence uh, in, in life. So um, the same thing happened with teaching. Uh, I was on the road and someone was like, I would like you to talk to the students that you actually play for. And I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I don't know that I can do that. He booked me and I have been teaching ever since. And then I didn't have anything to teach. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't have a book, right? So I needed a book. And so I looked around for a book. I read all the books, right? And they weren't right. Uh, so I wrote one. Um, so that's basically uh, where this whole thing uh, happened. So yeah, it does um, take over, but in very insidious sort of ways. I think the actual songwriting is only a part of the larger uh, picture of my life. And I think also the larger picture of everybody else's life who's, who's involved. Uh, in songwriting. Totally. That, um, that was actually like, I feel like the main takeaway from your book, and I actually was going to leave it to the end, but I guess that would be mm -hmm. burying the lead. But like songwriting is really about, uh, it's a way to understand yourself better and other people better, but also like forces you to confront yourself in ways that you wouldn't if you weren't writing songs, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I also have a lot of, I have students who walk in to a songwriting class and I tell them straight up, I'm like, you know what? There's nothing that says you're going to be a songwriter, right? There's nothing says that you want to, right? I know that you're here and it says songwriting on the door, but like that does not necessarily mean um, that what you're trying to express, you're trying to express through a song. So what I basically try to do is get people into journaling and into just uh, excavating themselves, you know, and getting like the raw material, like the, the cloud of bees that's, that's, you know, running around outside their heads um, onto a page, onto something that is tangible and understandable. And then, um, and then take a look at what it is, because it's not necessarily a song. You know, it very well could be a schematic for a, a, a suspension bridge or something. It could be, it could be anything. And as I'm going forward with, um, with, uh, with my classes uh, and watching my students grow into who they're going to be, I'm starting to write recommendations for law school, for cantorial school, for cooking schools for you know you know what i mean so it's like the 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 things that they were working on as songwriters they ended up applying to some other art or some other craft 
It could be building cars. I mean, it doesn't have to be like arty. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to leave that open to them uh, so that I so that the stuff that we learn is applicable to whatever they're ending up doing. You know, I, I don't want any wasted time, you know. So that's what I try. I try to impart to them. And since I like you talk about how what you're really teaching to do is journal to get the, the cloud of bees onto the page. Yeah. Um, would you talk a little bit about, well, one of the things I've been doing the last few weeks is daily pages. Sure. And some of us might be familiar with that, some not. But would you mind going over sure. what that is? Sure. Well, so daily pages is sort of, well, journaling is journaling, right? Journaling has been going on for centuries, right? But um, uh, in particular, I took two sources uh, for the journaling section. One is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and the other is called Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Patterson. Um, there are two types of journaling, two ways to go, and there are two reasons to do these two different things, right? So the first one is the Julia Cameron way, which is the three pages, and um, it's just three pages, and it's anything in the world. Just go crazy. And like, my students are just like, they give me so many questions. Like, I don't know. I'm like, guys, it's a blank page and a pen. Don't ask me what to do. <laughs> You're supposed to just go. If I told you what to do, you'd be doing maybe something you didn't want to be doing, you know, whatever. So three pages, go crazy, whatever it is, schematic, song, poem, bomb, I don't know, whatever. Um, so that's one way to go. Um, I think it's much freer. The second way to go is the Pat Patterson way, which is 10 minutes. Take the pen and it's a sprint. One, you take one idea, like uh, anything around, like a coffee cup or whatever, and go for 10 minutes, solid. Um, the reason you would do that is because I think songwriting is also best, not best done, but it's, it, there's something very emergency about, about writing songs. Whereas writing a book or writing a novel or writing something like that, building a bridge or something is much more uh, considered, you know? Um, songwriting is much more of like a, a capture, you know, of, a, uh, of an idea uh, in the wild kind of thing. Um, and I, in the book, I actually interview a fly fisherman who lives in this metaphor uh, all the all the time? Um, so anyway, there there are two sort of approaches to to the to the journaling. The nice thing also about the ten minute thing, the, the ten minute journal, is that if you're a songwriter and you're working commercially or you're working with a co-writer and you're under a time pressure, it's it's nice to have the muscle in tune to get to the heart of an idea quickly. You know, because you don't have time to ruminate. I mean, personally, I like just looking, I like a nice bay window. I'm like a house cat, you know, it's like nice bay window, the, the, uh, the sun streaming in. I got my pages. I think I'm Wadsworth or whatever, you know what I mean? Like whoever I think I am. And like three pages later, I've been, I've had like a reverie of some sort. Like I like that. Like that's fun for me. You don't get to do that if you're, if you're like working commercially you're working in pop music or, or you're just pressed for time. You know, uh, you have kids, you know, there are a lot of, 
or you're on the road or whatever it is, um, you push uh, quicker uh, that way. So one's one's like distance running and one's like a sprint. So those are those are the two ways. And my final thing is like mix mix those up, you know. Keep uh, interval training. <laughs> I don't know. There's like big gym uh, metaphor going, but interval training is really helpful. Um, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Try different styles. Try you know, just try on different clothes. You know, uh, and and uh, and be looking. Just be looking and be curious as to what's going on and what's coming up. Totally. I've been switching back and forth between the two, and I find that the three pages no time limit is much more difficult, but often takes me much more surprising places in a way, because I have, I feel like I have a lot less control and I don't know. Mm. And then that 10 minute writing is so fun too. Like I wrote a song or I wrote about my ashtray once and thought right. of a really good song idea. So that's great. Yeah. 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 I mean, these are, these are, these are the writing ways of journaling. There's also music ways of journaling as well, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. are explained in things like Jeff Tweedy has a book called uh, How to Write One Song. And uh, David Byrne has a book called How Music Works. And they refer to it as emergent storytelling, where and basically it's it looks like you've lost your mind. It's like you're a crazy person. You'll sit there and you'll start playing and yell words, just say words. And whatever the words are, and the words make absolutely no sense, but maybe the vowels are clues to the eventual word that you want, right? So that that sort of emergent uh, way of storytelling, uh, it emphasizes the melody a little bit more. So, and it's less, you know, it's less of a story. And it's also just more of a surprise, you know? I feel like if you're surprised in the ideation part of the of the of the song, um, you'll be surprised forever, and the sense of surprise is baked in. It's very weird. Like um, I've been surprised by songs I was surprised by now for decades. <laughs> you know, because I was surprised once back in the day. It's still it's still there. It's like still on the canvas. It's very it's very odd. Um, so any way of testing yourself to get that to happen uh, is really beneficial, I think, to the final product. Totally, totally makes sense. Um, the other thing that you suggest early in the book that we do to keep returning to is to make a list of songs that we wish yeah. that we had written or that like really take us to that like liminal space of joy, you know, when we hear a song that just like captures our heart. Sure. Um, what can we glean from a list like that? And why is that, why should we do yeah. that? Well, I, I really, a lot of the things that I talked about in the book had to do with my reactions to several years of working with students and, and their issues, their questions, their problems, the things that they would confide uh, in me during things like office hours. Um, and one of them is that, you know, there's such a glut of, of songs in the in the world that um that they're overwhelmed you know and it, it I, they're it's overwhelming you know and of course it's overwhelming i mean it's it's insane on spotify sixty thousand songs are uploaded per day right so like how many do we ever get to it's, it's i mean entire 
universes are going past us without us ever knowing. And for some reason, Phoebe Bridgers keeps coming up on my Spotify. You know what I mean? Like, how is it even possible with 60,000 a day options? Um, so what I asked them to do is like, got, you know, is to take a breath, find the songs that you love and admit to them. Just admit what they are, right? So that all of this, all of this, all more clouds of more bees, right? Like just more uh, chaos around you. Um, I asked them just to take the semester because we go by semester in schools, um, take the semester and build a target basically. Like it's like archery class. Like I, I assume somebody teaches archery in this world, but like um, it's archery class. So they build a target and the target is 10, 15 songs, whatever they are. You know, Eric Satie, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, I don't know, whatever. Um, Taylor Swift, it's usually Taylor Swift, but whatever. Um, so you put, the, you put that stuff together and now you are able to examine those songs that you have now admitted that you love. Because I believe inside those songs are clues, right? There are all kinds of clues to stances, to aesthetics, to the harmonic content of a song, the way you like things to flow. All of that is in that little 15 song target. And now you get to, you know, open them up, take a look at them, see what you like, use the words, go to the phrases, use metaphors the way they use them, you know, turn, turn a melody like them. So that, that's why I, I, I asked them to do that. I mean, I know that these things are reductive, but like there, if you don't put some blinders on, you go blind basically, because there's just too much uh, to deal with. Totally. There you go. Betty Joyce Nash is into it. Awesome, Betty. Do it. I made my list. I haven't fully sure. filled it out, but yeah. Sure. It's hard to make. It's hard to pick, honestly. Yeah. And also, you're not stuck, right? So you picked your songs. And like, for me, since we sort of think on a, I think on a semester basis, but like you could do it in a year basis or a recording cycle for an album or whatever it is. Um, revisit. Right. I mean, revisit the and and change it. You know, mix it up. You know, my my sense is, I think my sense is if it's 10 to 15 songs, six of them are gonna be the same until for the rest of your life. Right. There's I mean, there's just gonna be that's what it's gonna be. And the rest of those are gonna turn. You know, the rest of it will be will be churned. And that's how you will that's innovation and that's actually uh progress so. totally totally yeah it's yeah. so funny like i i mostly listen to the new artists i pick or whatever is at the used cd store because i listen to music in the car driving most of the time sure and so i'm always hitting up the classic country session section and i just discovered the judds last year and like two really? or at least two of their songs are on my list because they're just so great so Country music is is such a it's such a form that is so uh, that the storytelling is so on point, like it's a yeah. real crafty kind of 
style. Totally. It's really interesting. I always think of Tom T. Hall's famous quote every time I write a song is like, all you need is three chords and the truth. And that is just like right. my guiding star for writing music. So, yeah. Right. So. And, and you know what? I hate to say it, but I think it's kind of true. And what's interesting to me is that the new school, I teach at the new school and that's a conservatory. That's a jazz conservatory. And so these students are walking in and they are crazy proficient, right? They're sax players. They're like, they're, you know, they've been doing bebop their whole lives, right? Meanwhile, you know, they're 19, 20, 22 years old. They've never heard of people like Taylor Swift or, or you know, they, they, they just are in a completely different world and trying to get them to sit within three chords is really challenging because they really feel like I'm not using my entire life's worth of education. You know, I spent so much time running through the Lydian mode or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's just not where this is much more, uh, you know how they say that uh, simple doesn't mean easy. Right, um, absolutely. That's the thing that I feel like jazzers and really proficient uh, uh, students have the most trouble with. Because mm -hmm. you know? they're like, oh. complicated is the best. You know what I mean? Like, that's what interests me, you know? And, you know, Tom T. Hall and like people like that, Willie Nelson, you know, on the road again. I just want to get on the road again. You know, that's it. Song's over. The song is basically over after he says that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, well, you didn't modulate. You didn't do, it's just in a normal, you know, train beat. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and, and I just have to look at them and I just have to say, yes. I feel like a Zen master or something like that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, the road again. That's it. That's all you needed. That's the song. You know, totally. totally. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about storytelling, um, something I often think of when I write is rhyming, of course, and yeah. how to move the story forward in rhyme in a way that is like smart, but not like so contrived that it's like, you know, there's like this balance between um, between the two. And I guess I just wanted to ask about how you talk about rhyming. And you said this really helpful thing, which was don't think about if it rhymes, but think about if the rhyme lands. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's really, that's another really hard one. Now we're away from jazz and now go to musicals, right? So there's yeah. a lot of like Broadway people, right? And Broadway people come in and you can hear them too, because it's also very, very proficient, but it's like... You can hear it in the vibrato. You know, you can hear like this <laughs> thing comes out, you know, you're just like, oh my God, turn it down. Like, you know, like let's, let's deal with this. But, you know, their heroes are people like Stephen Sondheim, right? And Stephen Sondheim rhymes on the perfect rhyme every single time. And I made a humongous mistake once and I had a friend who was friends with Stephen Sondheim. And I was like, oh, great question for him. Ask him this, ask him if 
what he thinks about slant rhymes or imperfect rhymes. And so my friend went and asked and he stormed out of the room. He was furious. And like, my friend came back to me like, you were such a jerk. Why did you do that to me? Was that, were you like pranking me? And I was like, no, I didn't know. I didn't know that he was like so crazy about it. Well, anyway, he came back in and he said, they're not slant rhymes. They are incorrect rhymes. And do they work? Sure they work in the way that a table with three balanced legs and one shorter leg also works as a table, but it wobbles basically, you know? So, um, so I was like, wow, uh, you know, hey, sorry about that. There's also a book by Jimmy Webb, uh, ugh, and it's around here somewhere and I don't remember what it's called, but Toonsmith is what it's called. He talks about perfect rhyme as well. My students have beaten this out of me. Right. Um, and also uh, the, the writer from Hadestown, uh, Anais Mitchell, uh, has a book uh, about writing uh, rhyme. And she says, like, sometimes a perfect rhyme just wants to raise its hand up and say, hey, Ma, check it out. I've written a rhyme. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it's just too uh, obvious. Right. So my students like they get it to land, which is to get it close, you know? And I, I feel like it's between rhyming and also explicit language. I, I, I talk to them about that as well. Um, uh, you know, if the rhyming is close, I think, it's, I think it's fine, you know? But like, really it's about the intent, right? It's about the intent of the song, right? If you want, to feel conversational. Conversations don't rhyme, you know? So you're actually in a compromise between conversation and the form that you're working in. So there's, so what I'll do is I'll just query, you know what I mean? I'll just put a little question mark on it and just be like, are you sure? Um, because, you know, it's, it's up to them. And, uh, and, and I think what I say in the book is, um, Telling someone how to rhyme is a lot like telling them how to live. And I, I think that that is kind of true. That's like telling them how to write. Oh. Um, and I can't really do that. Um, yeah. uh, but the form, a country form is excellent for, um, the country form is excellent for uh, exact rhymes, for perfect rhymes. Also parody and jokes. Watch, do you know Bo Burnham? Have you seen any Bo yeah. Burnham work? Okay. Check out Bo Burnham's rhymes. He's on the money every yeah. time. And every time. It's, it's funny every time. And it's funny because it rhymes, yes. you know? So it really depends on what you're, what you're doing. But then Frank Ocean does not, you know? Cause it's much more, it's loose, right? Um, so, you know, your adherence to the form actually also dictates um, a lot to the listener, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Bo, and Bo Burnham's a great example of that. Totally. Anyway, that, that's rhyming. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I actually misunderstood what you meant by landing versus rhyming because I guess for landing, you were talking about more like slant rhymes or like, you know, but I actually like thought that you meant um, 
I guess like it's the difference between not letting the perfect rhyme drive the boat versus like sure. um, coming, like staying in the story and letting that lead you to the perfect line and like make the landing, I guess, a sort of like land the plane in a way that's not like so like, oh, like we're in a rhyme, you know, like, does right. that make sense? It does. There's a lot of boats. There are boats and planes. And I'm a little bit, I got a little oh, bit, I got a little bit, I don't know what vehicle I was in for a quick second. Um, so there was like, uh, anyway, I guess, I guess the point is, it's just like, it's, it's like any of the other tools in the kit, you know, um, using, using it is good when the final product benefits from it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, um, a, a, a really wacky, wacky rhyme or a, a rhyme that actually bends the word to purposefully, perfectly rhyme. Like, um, I'm thinking of the one Bob Dylan rhymes Ashtabula with Honolulu, which is kind of funny, you know, but like, it's a perfect rhyme, but it's the wrong word, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like, so that, that kind of stuff is a wink, you know? which is, which is, which is fun. So it can, it can bend a lot of different directions. It can land in a lot of different ways. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about the moments, uh, some of us experience where the song comes super easy, almost as if it's coming from outside our body and we become like a channel to, you know, it, it's like yeah. almost fully formed and it, it's not a struggle. Yeah. And then there are other times where it's not like that at all. So what, what's yeah. the deal and how do we get to that place more often? Is there any, no. <laughs> well, no, I, what, what's interesting is, um, again, it's about, I, I was reading a book by David Lynch, the uh, director called Catching the Big Fish. And I happen to know a guy who's a fly fisherman on the Arkansas river. And he does, you know, river, uh, he does river trips with, with tourists and everything. And he goes out on the water with people who want fish every day. You know that, you know that ridiculous picture that everyone has, every fisher person has, where it's like they're on the boat and they're holding up the fish and they're like, oh, check it out. You know, like what an awesome fish I have, you know, whatever. For my friend, every single person who goes on the river wants that picture with that good looking big fish. And he's like, that does not always happen. You know, I live on this bizarre sort of metaphor called the river. And um, what I have to do is temper expectations. I tell them to go out many, many, many times. And um, he uses an explicit, some explicit language here, but he says, you know, people don't learn anything on a 50 fish day, right? So like when it comes easy, you all of a sudden think you know how to do this, right? You're like, oh, this was easy. Like all I did was sit down and a song came out. And it's when, it's when you go two weeks and nothing's biting, that's when you start really learning on the tools that, that the book hopefully uh, helps talk about because it'll mitigate really tough uh, moments. If it's coming easy, it's like catching rain in a hat. You just just keep going. Just hold the hat. Just just don't eat. Just keep going. You know, um, 
and that that has happened. There are there are uh, there are famous examples of it. I think um, Peter Frampton, who just had a bi bio uh, biography, just came out on him. He wrote his two biggest songs of his life on one in one day, and that was it. And he was just like. It's like winning the lottery and then still playing the lottery and just going like, I never won again, <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, when that does happen, like you get the five minute song kind of thing, the people who get that never stop talking about it because they can't believe it. They were visited, right? I have some and I'm t I just was like, I woke up once and I wrote a song down and I was like, now I can go back to sleep or whatever. <laughs> I've cracked the code, right? It's going to be yeah. like this forever. Yeah. And it, it's just, and it goes away. It comes and goes. It's so crazy. Um, but so the class is what can we do in between lightning strikes, right? Totally. How do we prepare for lightning? <laughs> How do we wear a big metal suit and then walk around in the rain? You know, that's basically what the, what the book hopes to, to achieve. Totally. And on that note, uh, you just mentioned like going through periods of like drought, you know, like, or the, yeah. you said two weeks, I went through three months recently, I didn't have the pleasure of your book yet. So I didn't know that the only thing wrong was me deciding that I had a problem and not doing anything to fix it. So sure. will you talk about writer's block for oh, a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so writer's blocks, Writer's block is interesting because I get the question. I always think the question is going to be solved, right? We're all going to figure it out. But I get the question in office hours every year. And I'm like, the first thing is like, are you just trying to get out of an, an assignment? Which is the, that's the first thing I have to figure out. But then the second thing is like, people really do have writer's block and they really get super frustrated. And um, my content, so I went and I studied it. Right, and I'm just like, what the hell is writer's block? What the, what is this? It turns out there is no such thing, right? There's no such thing as writer's block. The concept of writer's block was created by an Austrian Freudian psychiatrist in New York in the 1940s, and his idea, because he was a Freudian, his idea was that um, writer's block exists because of uh, mothers always, uh, who denied their children breast milk when they were breastfeeding. And this is, a, this is what he came up with, Dr. Edmund Bergler in the 1940s. So it's milk denying mothers is the reason that, um, that, uh, that writer's block exists. He came up with the term writer's block. Um, and he got shouted, of course, you know, he got shouted down, of course. And then Freud got kind of shouted down too. And like people have moved on a little bit from it, but it's such a great name, writer's block. It sounds so real and it's such a great excuse. You know what I mean? Um, so it's stuck the way like Bigfoot stuck. We're still talking about the Loch Ness Monster. You know what I mean? Cause why? Cause it's an awesome name. It's such a cool thing. Like, how could it not exist with a name like that, you know? So writer's block is a little bit the same way. Um, so, but I don't discount the fact that it's hard to write. 
what happens, I think more often than not, is people are afraid. And I think a lot of times they're afraid of what they're gonna say. They're afraid of what's gonna come out. They're afraid that what's gonna come out isn't the thing that's cool. That, that's my thing. Uh, it's not cool. And like, I'll play something for my wife. I'll be like, is that cool? Because if it's not cool, I can't do it. Right, of course. Right? Um, and so my wife knows what's cool, of course, right? So, um, uh, so um, there's, a, there's a lot of fear, you know, bottled up in all of us and in, 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 yeah, in, in all of us. So these psychiatrists came up with the answer to writer's block, right? So the, the answer and the cure to writer's block after all this time is to write through it, right? So they say, if you have writer's block, the answer is to write through it. Ironically, that's what you're supposed to do if you don't have it. So regardless whether or not you have it, the answer is to write through it, right? So the cure to writer's block is to do what you would be doing if you didn't have it all, at all times. Just dragging the pen across the page literally is the end of writer's block. Next problem. Next problem is I'm writing Sure, I'm writing, I just hate all of it. And that's the next, that's another thing that might be happening, you know? So I talk to students about that. And this happens a lot where it's like, yeah, I'm writing, I wrote another terrible song. That, that, that's how they'll like come into class, but like, hey, prof, I wrote another dog, you know, enjoy, you know? And it's like, even that I think is a good sign because that means they're becoming frustrated with the way that they've been doing business thus far, right? So if you're frustrated, the, the, when you amp up the frustration, you get angry. And when you amp that up, you change and it breaks, like something breaks, you get a, you literally break through. So the next thing that you like, and it may be a long time from now, but like, if you continue pressing forward, I think the answer uh, arrives, you know, and the stuff that you hate stops coming out because you break through. So <laughs> reverse engineering it. If you hate the stuff that you're making, it's a great sign because it means your stuff is about to change. Awesome. <laughs> There's no excuse. It's never a thing. So, you know, and, and I tell, I mean, I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, guys, put your foot on the gas, guys, you know, um, the semester is short, the semester being life, you know what I mean? Like, do the thing, you know, do the thing. Um, the, uh, every, uh, every obstacle is, is an opportunity. Um, so press you know, press through those things, you know, um, and they hate it. They hate to hear it. <laughs> They're like, well, can I get a break? I'm like, no, no. What is it? Vacation from what? There's no vacation. Vacation never happened. You know, it's, it's, that's over. Um, uh, the more stuff they leave with at the end of the semester, the ultimately the happier they are regardless of how frustrated they become with me 
or with themselves, you know? If they squeezed out six songs instead of three, in five years, they're gonna be thanking me, you know? And I do, I mean, I have students I'm seeing now like five, six years later, whatever, they're like, thank you so much for being such a jerk, you know? <laughs> you know, thank you for, thank you for the push, you know? Thank you for not giving up when I was like, let's all agree that I have writer's block. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the kind of thing that I, I hope that the book brings. And, and I hope that I bring it to them in classes as well. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's output, effort and output. That's what I grade on. And, and that's what they grade themselves on. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, we have time for uh, one more question for me before we throw it to the the uh, the lovely viewers. But um, <clears throat> I just wanted to ask you um, about your songs. Um, I had a chance My to song. listen to some of them. Yeah, um, actually, you're not Santa. I listened. That was the first one I listened to, and I was going like this on my porch. <laughs> like it was such a bop. It was such a wonderful song. Everyone, go check out Mike's Bandcamp. It's great. Um, and I started listening to the album too, um, Misfit. I'm sorry, I've forgotten um, the title. Minor Fits? Yeah, Minor Fits. Yeah. And I made it, I think through almost all of it. And I love like that you have this kind of like pop punk thing going, but then you also have like, I don't know, there's just, there's so much, the music can be so upbeat, but there's so much going on and there's so much self-reflection. And I feel like yeah. it's about emotionally processing stuff that has happened to you um and and I really like I love music like that and I feel like I write that kind of music too is like reflecting on things and trying to like make a story out of it or wrap my head around it or like how do I feel about this where has this left me um but one thing that I really appreciated about your book too is it's just a really short section but it's like if you're writing kind of a confessional song and you have to change a detail that happened to you how like hard that can be to do like oh yeah to, to like suddenly write be writing the song you think is about yourself and then you have to like change something and then you're like but how can I justify that or whatever um but yeah I just yeah. like that's yeah, not I a mean, question but yeah, <laughs> yeah no I, I thanks um it's it's definitely like it starts I think things start in a place of a, a personal place but then you have to let, well, you don't have to do it, but like um, the form comes in, the time comes in, the audience comes in, the band comes in, that's a mess. But like when that happens, like these things happen and then um, people start touching it, you know, the form touches it, this, you know, and it goes from like this blurt on a page to like, um, to a finished song, like you're gonna have to change hair color, you're gonna have to change people, you're gonna have to change like the you hurt me, maybe is an I hurt you, or I don't wanna hurt you. Why? Just because it's a better song, you know? Right. And I'll I'll tell my students to revise umpteen different directions, like to change all the eyes to you, change the point of view, go from past tense to future tense to any of these tenses just to look for the better song. Like, this is not admissible evidence. We're not in court, you know what I mean? Like, so 
you make it make it a thing where it's um, more enjoyable for a listener. I'm sure it was fun to sit around and talk to your therapist about it, but like this is a different thing. This is we're now in art and we're not in therapy. So there was a question that just came up in the chat. Yeah, um, I was wondering if one of our uh, other moderators could read any questions we have, or maybe you could you could do it, Mike. Oh, I got one. Sure. Uh, sounds just like writing short stories. It is. They, well, they kind of are short stories. Um, and um, it's interesting. There's a really, there was a really important, I think for me, interview in the book with George Saunders, who is like basically the preeminent short story writer. Um, and I would really point people to that, to that interview, um, which is, is really, it's just, I mean, What's interesting about him is that he wanted to be a singer songwriter, which I didn't know, right? And he was like, he showed me his guitars and like, he was like, oh man, I can play really well and all this kind of thing. I'm like, well, that's nice. But like, you're a MacArthur genius uh, who write, who wrote Lincoln and the Bardo. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you can play the guitar, but like, dude. Um, and he was like, I just can't, I couldn't make the form do the thing that was in my head, right? It was the wrong form. It was like, I love the shoes. They're just the wrong size, you know? And, and what he said to me is like, it's a real moment of maturation to figure out what it is you can do most beautifully, right? And that's a hard thing because you can work your behind off on something. I worked super hard on being a guitar player. And I took singing lessons for like a month and I was a better singer than I was a guitar player. It, it was disheartening is unbelievable is, is the term. Um, so what he his metaphor or his example was, if you sit there and you're writing uh, string quartets and uh, everyone falls asleep and they suck, or they, everyone just hates them or whatever, and you're sad and you cry. And in uh, consolation, you pick up an accordion and you start playing polkas and everyone loves it and starts dancing. There you go. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a thing that you have to sort of listen to. And I said to him, to what degree do we have a choice in the matter? And he said, none, N not at all. And I was like, you know what? You're, to you're right. You're totally right. You're totally right like i know that because like all the guitar that i played <coughs> it was washed immediately by a month of singing um that but that wasn't even the question i missed the question any tips for how you can have fun even amidst the frustration during those dry periods what is the mindset that works for you and some of your students um i love Tips for how you can have fun, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Um, for me, my students are fun. Like do a thing that you love, you know what I mean? Like there, there are so many diversions that people say, you know what, there's a section in the book about taking walks, about getting into that. Getting into something else is, is a really important part of getting into, into the writing, I think. Having having a balanced life, you know? Uh, and that's something that we have seen time and time again 
with really talented people who get too, who get so uh, tunnel visioned about writing that they run out of things to write about. You know, whoa, cat with no hair. Awesome. I actually was going to say, Mike, if you don't mind, just because he jumped up here. I I really like writing songs about kind of like silly things or taking myself less seriously and just enjoying getting something out and finished. And um, I wrote a song about my cat that ended up being really good. And I had no intention of taking it seriously at all. So there you go. You know, they have them with hair. You don't need, you don't need sweaters for them. Well, I wanted a dog and I couldn't get one. And I Googled <laughs> what dog is most like, or what cat is most like a dog. And it turns out that it's a Sphinx cat. So I, I have to tell you, that is not passing for dog. <laughs> I, I it's was about not, their demeanor, Mike. It's their I demeanor. was not fooled for a minute. <laughs> uh, I brought anyway. him into a grocery store once and someone asked me what kind of dog it was. Oh, that so never happened. Someone was full. I swear to God. <laughs> anyway, next question. Next question. All right. Um, can you find a cat that looks like a dog? Or whatever, <laughs> whatever the question was. Um, uh, can you speak about how much do you teach songwriting students about the music, music theory, harmony, melody versus lyric writing and storytelling? Um, well, we talked a little bit about that, the, the Tom T. Hall, like the three chords and the truth thing. Um, uh, a lot of pop songwriting really doesn't focus on that. I mean, some people do, right? Um, there are the Sarah Bareilleses of the world who are very, who are, and the, who have moved through lots of different uh, places. Um, but I actually took the Ryan Tedder monthly.com, uh, how to write a hit song kind of, uh, master class. It was like a master class. Um, and he's written a lot of hits. And the first thing he said, was like, you know, they're basically like, you know, four or five, uh, different, um, chord progressions. <laughs> I was like, well, there goes, there goes music theory, you know? Um, that's also why a lot of people are getting sued, right? That's why Dua Lipa is getting sued. Ed Sheeran's getting sued. Taylor Swift is getting sued. I mean, there's so many people, and and one of the the basic blurred lines. I mean, a lot of the the reason for this is that people are doing the same thing, they're, and they're using they're they're going even smaller uh, in a harmonic sense, and uh, you know, a lot of people say that the songs are getting worse or they're getting more you know boring or whatever or samey. I mean, I I don't really know to that effect, but as far as teaching that. Again, I go back to that 15 song target and what's going on in there, you know, Um, because, I mean, you can learn, I don't know, giant steps or whatever, like some sort of like very harmonically dense kind of piece of work, but um, sometimes you're just learning it for its sake, you know, And, and I think if you're, if you're writing you're, you're, uh, you're working with a lot of, the, with the things that you love, with the influences that you love. And if those influences are not, see that dog, that, that dog almost bit you. I saw it. <laughs> he that does that. Dog. He's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm fine. It happens okay. all the time. Do you need yeah. medical assistance or I don't know? I'm good. You were just attacked. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, so 
yeah, so it really depends on what's going on in the uh, in the songs that you, that one loves. For me, I happen to like harmonic richness because you know what in my little target would be something like songs in the key of life which is the stevie wonder album uh but also like real like you said pop punk stuff which is crafty but still sort of simple you know in the uh harmonic uh world um if your thing is like andrew bird or uh uh grizzly bear or something like that then you're then you're really you are much more open to harmonic changes and such. Yeah. It's it's really, it's a choose your own adventure. And that is the same with rhyming, same with harmony, same with song length. That's another big one. Um, So, you know, all I can do is just get like, put the tools on the table and run. (laughs) Do we have time for one or two more? I want to talk about the link. Oh, flash fiction is all about telling a story really quickly. Can you equate that to the songwriting process? Absolutely. It's so dense. Songwriting is so dense. Um, uh, one of the things that's really that I stress in the class is what's the first line? You know, the first line has so much work to do. Um, it, it needs to like open, invite us, but also make us wonder, right? Question, like the, the great, I mean, the great one to me is always uh, uh, Strawberry Fields, right? Which is like picture yourself on a boat, on a river, like, wow. Like now I'm asked to do this whole thing. I like this whole story has occurred. Also, it's picture yourself, right? So picture is like a verb that's a direct address. So instantly I'm told to do something. I'm grabbed by the shirt collar and told to picture this beautiful thing, right? And tangerine skies and all this craziness. And now, I mean, by line two, I'm like, I'm in. I don't know what the hell's going on, what you're on, what I'm on, um, but I'm in. I'm in for, you've got me for the next two, three minutes or whatever it is. so it's that kind of thing is interesting. And people, you know, and then, I don't know, decades later, Prince was like, dig if you will, a picture of you and I engaged in a kiss, right? So, I mean, pulling straight from Beatles and putting his own spin on it um, is, the same, uh, is the same idea. So the first line, if you get the first line, so much work is done for you. Um, uh, how many lines do you get? Like 40, 50 words in a song, right? Because they also uh, will, they repeat, right? But they have to deepen as they repeat. So, um, so yes, flash fiction. I love flash fiction. And one of the people I use, I don't know if he's really flash fiction, but Richard Browdigan, um, who I love. Uh, the, um, I was trying to describe you to someone is, is the name of it. Um, it's the most beautiful little metaphor about, you know, this movie that he sees from the 40s um, and they didn't have electricity. And then all of a sudden the WPA comes in and they electrify the, the, the entire uh, the town. And now people can do things by night and they can, you know, dance in the electric Edison bulbs and whatever, this whole thing. And like, and, and the end is like, and that's what you remind me of or something like that. Um, 
So that kind of like quick flash, that like sort of like brushstroke of a song uh, that um, that flash fiction can be is also what uh, a song can do. Uh, any plans for you to narrate an audio version of your book? You know what? We're talking about that. The ball really has been dropped on that, Barry Hall, um, and but not by me. It, it, frankly, it's the only thing I actually look. There's the microphone. I mean, I I could I could do it right here, but I, I what I decided to do, and this is for all book people, what I decided to do was have a book deal, right, and go to a publisher and do the thing because I I I wanted to step forward in that way. Um, I have found that I do a lot of it myself. DIY, old school, like it's all, it's always, it's all the same, right? So if certain things don't happen, I'm just going to do the auto, audio book and whatever. Let the chips, let the chips fall. I think it'd be really fun. Um, and uh, it's what I do anyway. It came from class, right? So I went from class, which is audio book, basically, to book, then back out to class, you know, to, to audio book. And that'd be really fun. Um, cool. Yes. Cool to you, Mr. Barry Hall. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time for us to wrap things up. Uh, thank you to everyone for coming. Thank you so much to Mike. Please consider buying Mike's book from your local independent bookseller or using the link provided on vabook.org. And you can also check out other events in the 2022 Festival of the Book uh, at vabook.org. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, and everyone, yeah, go check out Mike's music on Bandcamp. It's really, really wonderful. And um, thank you so much again. Thank you, guys. All right, well, I'll see you on the internet, Mike. I, I look forward to it. Okay. This was my Bye, first everyone. book festival. It was really enjoyable. Thank oh, you. good. Awesome. Great. Have a great night. Bye, y'all. Well. Thank you. Well, my apologies <laughs> to the rough beginning, but I thought that was so amazing. And I really want your audio book. Yay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That'll be really fun. Yeah. I love your squirrels, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> so you can stop recording if you want. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um,